Having car problems? Well, with Rhoda, getting them fixed is as easy as ordering takeout. They'll come pick up your car for free, do any repair or maintenance needed, and return it right to your driveway. They'll even give you a complimentary video inspection of your car so you can see what needs to be done. Perfect for those of us that maybe aren't so car savvy. Book your appointment online at roda.com. And lucky for you, CityCast listeners get a 20% discount on any service for up to $100 off. Just use the code CityCast20. Today on CityCast DC, the MLK Library is so much more than just books. It's also the People's Archive, a living, breathing collection honoring DC's vibrant Black cultural, social, and political history. Maya Thompson and Derek Gray both work there and agree that at a time when our history is under attack, preserving and celebrating it has an extra significance. Oh, and after the interview, senior executive producer Priyanka Tilve will be joining us for a conversation sponsored by Alliance Frances about the organization's exciting summer opportunities. Stick around to learn more. Today's Thursday, February 29th. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what DC is talking about. Hey, Derek. Hey, Maya. How's it going? Hi. How are you? It's going really great. So the MLK Library is so much more than just a library. I actually went to a lovely, swanky rooftop party there not too long ago. It really has so much history inside, and I don't think people really have an idea of all the different types of stuff they can learn there. So, Derek, I understand that you've been working at the D.C. Public Library for 16 years. You are pretty much the experts. What are some of the different kinds of exhibits that folks can check out in the library? So we have the uh, our permanent exhibit, uh, which is Up From the People, which is a wonderful exhibit located up on the fourth floor of the MLK Library. And it's um, pretty much dedicated to King's message of activism in D.C. and connects local leaders to him. Uh, the narrative, unfortunately, with King in D.C. is that, you know, his story is very relatively simple, that he came to Washington, D.C. in August of 1963 for the March on Washington and, you know, gave his speech. And that was it. And that is not it. (laughs) His um, story (laughs) is much more broader and much more significant. And the Up From the People exhibit showcases just how the, the civil rights activism uh, that was being done had started before King even came to D.C. and after. And what I like about it is how the exhibit showcases that D.C. leaders such as Walter Fauntroy and uh, Marion Barry, these folks, uh, and, and Nanny Helen Burroughs, these folks actually shaped his work and he shaped theirs. The exhibit also focuses on how materials in the People's Archive tell that story. King worked with a lot of local organizations, a lot of civic associations, churches, and schools advocating for civil rights and home rule in D.C., and we have those materials in our collection. 
One of the things I love about DC's history and legacy of activism is the role that things like culture and arts and music played in activism. Do you have stuff demonstrating that that folks can check out there? Yes, we do. Um, the exhibit also, uh, it's divided into two parts, uh, the Revolution of Values, which focuses on King, and then also DC Represented, which covers local politics and history, and also culture and art. And th that side of the exhibit focuses on the cultural impact of go-go and punk music uh, in particular, to showcase that you know, these types of movements and this activism is also documented in the cultural arts, uh, particularly music. And Maya, I want to ask you about this because it's really clear to me that these exhibits have been so intentional about preserving specifically D.C.'s Black history, which is so important at a city like D.C. What is the significance of this? I think it's so important that the library and the People's Archive has this Black Studies focus, particularly because... At the time when the Black Studies Collection was founded in the 1970s, which was at the same time as Black Studies was being fought for across the country, D.C. had a majority Black population. And as we all know, that population has shifted as the cities become more gentrified. So I think it's so important that we try to preserve the legacy of Black history and the Black residents of this city um, as that population changes. Well, especially given that, you know, you see attacks on the ability to study and preserve our history all over the nation. And so I think it's extra important in D.C. that we're really telling that story to be like, no, we were here. We've always been here. We're a big part of the legacy of, of D.C. and folks need to know about it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That fight has been so cyclical, which is really unfortunate. But it really shows that the Black residents of D.C. want their stories told. Not only did they fight for the library to be dedicated to Martin Luther King, but they wanted this collection. They wanted these stories to be told. And we owe it to them as the People's Archive to preserve that and to make sure that we are telling the narratives in a way that is inclusive and accessible to everyone. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. You mentioned that residents fought to have the library be a memorial to MLK. Can you tell me more about that? Oh, I think I should pass it to Derek for this one. <laughs> okay, Derek, you're up. <laughs> All right, I'm up. Okay, no problem. Thanks, Maya. Yeah, um, in fact, that is really a very important part of the exhibit and also um, a favorite collection item, if you will, 
shortly after Dr. King was assassinated, there were efforts to memorialize him all over the country, and particularly here in D.C. And immediately, city residents began a letter-writing campaign to name the new Central Library after Dr. King. And the People's Archive also includes the records of the library, which is a wonderful collection, going all the way back to um, the 1890s. And in that large collection, it's about, um, about 400 boxes of material, there are about 40 to 50 letters that we have from young people, adults, business folks, uh, civic associations, and pretty much just, you know, Washingtonians demanding that the library be named uh, after Dr. King. And some of those letters are in the exhibit. There are some also that the people wrote talking about that they do not want the uh, library to be named after King. Thankfully, there are very few of those. <laughs> but there is one from a um, woman who actually claimed that for her, it's not about race and uh, the library should remain named after Andrew Carnegie. And this person predicted there would be a lot of problems in the city if the library was named after Dr. King. Almost sounds like and a threat. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was um, very alarming, um, but uh, thankfully, it's it's almost very lopsided. There are a lot more letters um, uh, in support, and what I'm hoping to find is that a lot of the that collection is what's called unprocessed. A lot of those materials have not been gone through yet. So I'm hoping that there are actually more than just the forty to fifty that we have discovered, and I would also just like to touch on this very quickly that I hope that there are more records in the collection that document something that was told to me several years ago by a former library director. She was a children's librarian at the time when the board of trustees met for the final vote. And long story short, there were folks in the room who wanted the library to be named after Malcolm X, wow. actually, and not Dr. King. And uh, she uh, claimed that the Malcolm X folks were saying, you know, King had been too um, conservative, not radical enough. And then all of a sudden, apparently, there was a shift in the room. <laughs> so, like, the pro-King folks got a little bit more vocal. The Malcolm X folks were overruled. So I guess my point is, is that it's just very interesting how the, you know, in black history, which is something that I just one of the things I love is this whole quote unquote debate between King and Malcolm X and how, according to this one person, that debate, if you will, came to the library. And I just hope that we find more material because that was just one basic oral history from one person. But, um, you know, if if there are other folks around who were in the room at that time, or, or if there are other like records, um, I hope we can find those. Well, I think that really demonstrates that oftentimes it's these intra-community tensions that make our community so multifaceted and interesting and dynamic, like we're not a monolith. And it just, 
it's nice to get these historical reminders of the places where we maybe did have tension within the community. I think it's such a it's what makes us us. It's what makes us special in my book. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, um, you know, we're not a monolith. And, you know, if there was um, that debate, great, you know, um, all the more reason that makes our history so fascinating. You know, it just speaks to the diversity in the community. I also love to think about the public library as a site of protest, a site of debate. It really shows that we're not only demonstrating a history of protest in our exhibitions, but the people of D.C. are really part of that, and they claim the library as their own. Mm. So that's something I really love about the stories that we're telling. It's not Absolutely. just it's not a story that's separate from us. We are part of the story as D.C. residents. So both of you have mentioned a few times that these exhibits are built sort of off the back of the People's Archive. For folks who don't know, what is that? So the People's Archive was once known as the Washingtoniana Division and later Special Collections. It is a repository that consists of three separate collections. So we have the Black Studies Collection that we've talked about a bit, which was once a circulating book collection, but now is a special collection of Black Studies books, founded in 1972. We have the Washingtoniana Division, which is a repository for local D.C. history and culture. And then we also have the Peabody Room, which focuses on Georgetown history, and that is based at the Georgetown Neighborhood Library. So the bulk of the collection is based at the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library downtown on the fourth floor of the library. And what do folks use it for? Like, um, what kind of documents might you find there if you went exploring? We have so many different kinds of materials, photograph collections, historic newspapers, maps, building permits, manuscripts of uh, notable Washingtonians, all kinds of materials. I think one popular thing people do is come in and research the history of their homes. People come in to do genealogical research. So there are a lot of different things that you can come research. If it has to do with uh, local Black history and culture, then we may have something that pertains to that. So let's say that I or someone listening wanted to come in and explore. Where do I start? Do I have to have a specific inquiry that I want to find out XYZ specific thing about my home or my family? Or, you know, how specific do I need to get in order for this to be something that I could actually use? So the more specific, the better. But if you come in and only have a vague idea of what you're looking for, we're happy to help you narrow that down. So you can just come up to our information desk and um, have some sort of question or or topic, and we can help you figure out what you're really looking for and what type of material might help you. We're just here to help you explore and discover things in our collection. And we love to help people do that. It doesn't matter if you're an academic, a student, or, you know, just one of our neighbors. We just really want everyone to be able to use this collection and feel like it's something that is for them and not something that is unattainable to them. Can people contribute if they want? Oh, absolutely. We're always collecting things. Right now, we are definitely focused on topics such as go-go, history and culture, Latinx culture in D.C., um, Ethiopian history and culture in D.C., but we would love to talk to you about anything that you'd like to donate. I feel like 
What I love about the People's Archive is we try to make sure that everyone knows that they have a part of the D.C. story. So we are always open to talking to folks about what they might have to contribute to that story and make it more inclusive. Okay, final bonus round question for both of you. What do you think is the coolest thing that is in there? Or your favorite artifact in the archive? (laughs) Derek, let's start with you. All right. Well, I'm 16 years. That's just a little hard. But um, <laughs> OK, I, I'll say this. One of my favorite items is um, we have a list of rules for the library from 1924. And it's just pretty comical compared to the rules of the library now. All gentlemen had to remove their hat. Mm -hmm. A library fine was five cents. That's that's one. And of course, the letters that I had mentioned before of uh, naming the library after Dr. King. Those are just two. I have a long list. Sorry, we'll be here all day if I go through everything. But that's, that's just mine. And Maya, what about you? Favorite thing in the archive? Coolest thing you think is there? I would say a few years ago, I was going through the Julius Hobson collection and I stumbled across a letter that was signed by, written and signed by James Baldwin, and I just gasped. I definitely think that's the coolest thing in the collection. It makes me feel like there are just magical moments in the collection when you find something and you feel like the archive is speaking back to you. And that was one of those moments for me. I wish I could remember what box it's in, but maybe if you come into the archive, you might be able to stumble upon it magically as I did. But there are definitely amazing things there, some that we know about and some that we don't. So I really encourage people to come in and find something amazing. Uh, Thank you for those gems. Derek, Maya, thank you both for the work you're doing and for being here today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much. And listeners, don't go anywhere. In just a second, we've got a segment sponsored by Alliance Frances. Senior executive producer Priyanka Tilve is chatting with the organization's head about summer planning and cool events and trips you could join. Stay tuned. Hey, I'm Priyanka Tilve. Here with Sarah Delegenti, the executive director of Alliance Frances. Hi, Priyanka, and nice to see you again, uh, or to be with you again on CityCast. Sarah, it is so good to chat with you again today, especially because it means getting to look forward to warmer weather. Tell me about the summer camps that AFDC offers. Right, yes, we have a tradition at Alliance Frances where we try to do summer in French with fun. And so we have weekly themes starting at the end of June, ending in the middle of August. Each theme is different. What kinds? Like, can you give me some examples? Sure, yeah. I mean, the most popular ones, uh, you will, of course, uh, think about that. But for kids aged uh, 5 to 11, the most popular thing is still cuisine. Or maybe it's their parents who wants them to cook. Of course. Yeah, so we have that cuisine. We have Lego now and again. Uh, We have a lot of the uh, popular camps are based on science, like STEM or robotics or recycling science, you know, something new. Of course, all of that is made in a way that the kids also learn some French. That's really cool. So it's like the themes are a way to create conversation that they then get to practice their French, talking about 
basic things, interesting things around their world. Correct. So when they arrived on the first day of camp, we quickly try to assess their levels and we separate them by linguistic level, not by age. So like a child of five with a child of 11 could be in the same room if they're both bilingual or if they're both beginners. That's what we what we want to make sure of, that they are uh, separated by linguistic level because it makes more sense for us to do that. They have fun. They have a typical day, which includes, you know, class in the morning, class in the afternoon. There is a story time or quiet time at the library. We have a huge library for children. We have a lunch in the park when it doesn't uh, rain or when it's not 120 degrees uh, under the sun. We have uh, physical activity. Uh, some weeks we have one day of uh, initiation to judo. Ooh. We have also an entire week dedicated this year to the Paris um, Olympic Games, of course, you know, with a lot of activities. And we do have field trips as well. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and I really love that you do break up the groups by linguistic ability rather than age. That's really smart. Have you decided on the exact themes for summer 2024? We have actually. So we have week one will be the Les Petits Gribouilleurs, which will be the small uh, artists, definitely. Then we're going to have small francophones, i.e. Uh, they will explore all of the French-speaking world. And then they will have the small botanists, the small heroes. And that doesn't mean that you have to wear a cape. <laughs> and then small artists, uh, small bakers. So they'll be visiting a bakery as well as small judokas at the Olympic Games, which will be our last week. Oh, my gosh. Do you offer these for 30-year-olds? Uh, no, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Bummer. And then I understand you also have some programs for teenagers, right? We do. We have some classes for teenagers. So we're starting around 12 to, eight to 17, let's say. We have either complete beginners, they can learn French. Otherwise, if they have had French at school in uh, the DMV, the District Maryland, Virginia area, then they can sign up for either French language review one, two, three uh, level, and even for a class of AP French preview, which is quite useful, especially if you're at level French level four and you want eventually to take AP, which is quite different than French 1, 2, and 3, and 4. So that gives you an idea of what's going to be asked of you for one entire year before your exam. That's amazing. All of this sounds so educational, but also really fun. And that that's cool that that opportunity exists here in D.C. Is there a deadline by which people have to sign up if they want to join any of these programs and summer camps? Well, they have to look up for the uh, early bird discount, which is sometimes at the beginning of April or, or uh, end of April, depending on the class. Uh, that will be $20 off the tuition if they want to follow that. Our space is small, and so we don't take more than 10 children per group. So seats are limited. So it's uh, it's they sell like a cross bun, basically. <laughs> I can imagine. There is something I forgot to mention, which is very important. On Fridays, the last day of each summer camp, we offer kids a French pastry, Ooh. is a croissant or chocolatine or, you know, something like that, which is which comes from our local partner, French baker in D.C. And we also this year will attempt to re renew with the tradition of a small performance at the end of each week. Maybe they have a little skit or little thing they want to recite. So we like to do that, which we did in the past and that we want to do it again now. So parents can come and attend and applaud their kids. That sounds like an incredible time. 
Sarah, thank you so much for being here. This was amazing. You're welcome, Priya. Talk to you soon. And again, check out francedc.org to learn more. We'll have that link in our show notes as well, so you're just a click away. Thanks for listening. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, share it with your favorite history buff. And we've got more information about Alliance Frances and their summer programming in our show notes. Check them out. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then.